Repentance isn't feeling sorry for your sin. It is changing course. It is changing the mind. It is turning in a completely different direction. It's your life quest. You've been looking for a home you haven't seen yet. Oh, it's your life quest. You've been looking for a hope you haven't found yet. Oh. Hello. And welcome to LifeQuest, a verse-by-verse exploration of the entire Bible to discover real life God's way. LifeQuest is a radio ministry of Alpine Christian Fellowship in Alpine, California, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherwood Patterson. On today's program, we will be looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. We will hear two love stories, one about great love for oneself and how that diminishes our view and understanding of who Christ is. The second love story is about extravagant love for Christ, which brings faith and service as a response to Christ's forgiveness of sin. Our prayer is that God will open our hearts to understand His Word today, and that we might learn to love Christ with an extravagant love. So now, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 7 and study God's Word with Pastor Sherwood. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 36 through 50 today. Today we're going to be talking about love, and not just any ordinary love, we're going to talk about extravagant love. We're going to see today an encounter that Jesus had with two individuals. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a, a woman who was desperately seeking Jesus. And as we go through the text, I would like for us to just kind of keep in the back of our minds where we might identify with some of these individuals in this story. When we see this story, we see Jesus continuing in his ministry. And in verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down. So it was Jesus' custom to visit with people, to accept invitations, and uh, the individual that invites him over for this meal is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees kind of get a a bad rap throughout the Gospels if you read the Bible. Jesus had a lot of condemnation, rebukes against the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were a very powerful religious sect. They were leaders in the community They were very strict and devout religious leaders, in particular of the Mosaic Law. So they searched the Mosaic Law and they held to very strict adherences of the traditions of the Mosaic Law. So much so that they were um, seen by people in the community or by others who were not within that sect or the Pharisees to be some somewhat quite hypocritical because they were so concerned with the outward demonstration of the religion that even Jesus condemned them because 
even though they showed on the outside that they were very religious people, Jesus would would say later in the Gospels that they were whitewashed tombs, that they looked good on the outside, but they were full of covetousness. They were full of self-righteousness. They were full of hypocrisy. And the word Pharisee actually means uh, to be separate or separated one. They would separate themselves from the general population. And uh, they didn't want to be touched by people who were unclean. They, They saw themselves as above other people. And so Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house. And uh, he comes in to sit, and you wonder the motive behind the Pharisee for someone who was concerned with the outward appearances. It's kind of like a politician who is seeking votes and seeking, uh, what is it, when you get an endorsement. You wonder if that might have been the motivation for bringing Jesus over, earning brownie points, or, or, or being seen as, as someone who has favor with a a powerful religious leader. Because at this time in Jesus' ministry, thousands of people, if not 50,000 of people, were visiting and traveling and going to where Jesus was preaching and uh, listening to him and following him. And so the Pharisee asks him over for a meal to sit down. Jesus doesn't turn down a meal. Jesus doesn't discriminate between someone who is a religious leader in the community or someone who is on the very lowest strata of society. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at Jesus' feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with his tears. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed him. uh, And anointed them with the fragrant oil. So we have a pretty drastic contrast. uh, If we're looking at this setting going on inside of the Pharisee's house. No doubt it was a very nice house. No doubt there was a big house. No doubt it was finely furnished. No doubt there was great food to be had. And in this atmosphere, we see this woman who is weeping, this woman who washes Jesus' feet, and this woman who kisses his feet and anoints his feet with fragrant oil. We're going to see Simon, which is the name of the Pharisee, we're going to see Simon kind of condemn this woman and actually find fault with Jesus for allowing her to come so close to him and to serve him in this way. But this woman was actually quite notorious in the community. Uh, Because uh, Simon says a little bit later in a few verses, he, he says, you know what, if Jesus knew what type of woman this was, and the woman who was clinging to him, you wouldn't allow her to hold on to him. So obviously, this woman was known by the people in the community. Now, we don't know specifically why she was notorious, but we know that Simon says she was a sinner. And really, for the time of culture in that day, 
for a woman to be labeled as a sinner, for a woman to be uh, ostracized in that way and labeled and identified severely by the general population, you would suspect that this woman was either a prostitute or an adulterer. And that's uh, one of the things that is possible here, but nevertheless we see that she is known because of her past sins. And notice her response. If you see that she comes to Jesus and she stood at His feet. Now, uh, back in the first, Jewish, first century Jewish culture, the tables were not like the tables that we have today where we sit down uh, uh, above the ground and it's you know, a higher level. The, the tables in this culture were really low to the ground. And there was usually uh, pillows or soft cushion set around the tables and you would recline at the table. You would recline on an elbow and you would use your other arm to, to feed yourself from the food that is being passed around. So Jesus is leaning towards the table with his feet either to the side or behind him. And this woman takes that opportunity to come and anoint and kiss and wash Jesus' feet. Let's just uh, draw a few things out from this woman's response. The first is her weeping. Obviously a sign of brokenness and deep humiliation over her sin. Now, we don't know that she is broken over her sin at this point in the story. But we do know later on in the story that that is exactly why she came to Jesus. We don't know if she encountered Jesus before this time. We don't know if she was a part of the crowds listening to him. But she knew where to find Jesus. And I'm sure it was a very difficult thing for her to enter into this circumstance, this, this house filled with all of these religious rulers, all of, all of these pious and holy people who would condemn her, who would find fault with her, to break that barrier, to put aside any fear that she may have and approach Jesus in deep humiliation. She is weeping. She is broken. I don't know about you, but I mean, if you see someone weeping, particularly a woman, right? You, you, women, you don't usually weep in public, do you? You might. But what happens when you weep? Well, your mascara runs. You get puffy eyes. You get a red face. Now, maybe you don't want a lot of people to see you in that situation, but this woman, she didn't care. She didn't care. She was weeping. She was weeping over her. She was coming to Jesus in great humiliation. She said, you know what? Let the mascara run. Let my face be puffy. It doesn't matter to me. Again, in contrast with the Pharisee. The outward appearance or the inward condition of the heart. She comes to Jesus weeping. And I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says. Paul is writing a second letter to the Corinthians, and he's reminding them about his first letter and how they received that first letter and how they responded to that first letter. For even if, verse 8, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. 
though I did regret it, for I perceive that the, sam- uh, that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. I read this verse to highlight the fact of this woman's weeping leading her to a place of sorrow. And not just a place where she felt bad about her sins. I think we could all acknowledge that we would feel bad about our sins. But the sorrow led her to change her actions. It produced in her a word that you will be familiar with in the scriptures as repentance. Repentance isn't feeling sorry for your sin. It is changing course. It is changing the mind. It is turning in a completely different direction. You see, in her weeping, she was made sorry, but her weeping and her sorrow produced produced a repentance, and a repentance that brought her to the feet of Jesus. Not only was she weeping, but she also washed Jesus' feet. And she didn't wash Jesus' feet with the water that would have been provided at the front door of a guest of a home, where the servant would wash the feet of someone who would come in. You know, they wore sandals during that time, and they traveled dusty roads, and it was a custom to show courteousness uh, and respect to a guest who would come into your home to wash their feet, to refresh them. I don't know how many tears it would take to wash a person's feet, but it's got to be a lot. She is weeping, she is crying, and the washing of the feet, we see a great deep affection for Jesus. In fact, she assumes the submissive and servant role that someone in the household should have already provided for Jesus, but had not. Jesus would later go on to say to his disciples in the upper room before he was betrayed, he would put on the servant's towel and wash his disciples' feet and say, go and do likewise. This woman recognized, I have such great love and affection this extravagant love for Jesus that would put aside any fear and be so bold and courageous to come to the feet of Jesus in brokenness, in humiliation, in affection to say, Jesus, I submit and surrender to you in all things. She washes his feet with her tears, but also with her hair. She's really not concerned about her appearance. She's, she's not concerned at all. She goes on to anoint his feet with oil, and we see it's that, that alabaster flask that she had brought with her into the house, breaks that jar, and begins to pour it over his feet. 
the anointing, is giving Jesus all of her adoration. She is adoring Jesus with that, with that which was most precious and valuable to her. And that's the truest expression of worship. It says, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifice, the scripture says, holy and acceptable to him, which is our reasonable act of service and worship. Those two words are used interchangeably. She is submissive. She is at his feet. She is giving him that which is most precious. And I love that Jesus allows anyone to cling to him. Anyone. No matter what we've done, cling to Jesus. Reach to him. He's available. Notice, if we continue on in the story, Simon the Pharisee sees what's happening. And he begins to talk. He's got this internal voice going on in his head. And in verse 39 he says, Now when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited Jesus into his house, when he saw what was going on, he spoke to himself saying, so he's having this inner dialogue within himself. This man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who touched him, for she is a sinner. Notice that Simon finds fault with Jesus because he does things in a different way. He does things outside of his box of religion, of tradition, which said, you know what, you need to clean yourself up in order to come and approach God. Godliness is unapproachable by sinfulness. This is Simon's paradigm. But Jesus is shattering that right now. Completely shattering it. And he's saying, if you don't acknowledge, if you don't confess, if you don't come to me with your brokenness, with your sin, with your deep humiliation, it is then that you will find free forgiveness and salvation. He's finding fault. He honestly believes he's better than the woman. But Jesus hears and knows our inner thoughts. There is nothing hidden from him. While he's having this dialogue in his own mind, Jesus in verse 40 says this. Jesus answered and said to him, we understand his name now to be Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And he's going to begin to tell Simon a parable about what he's seeing and what is happening in this room. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, Simon, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. So Jesus uses his opportunity to present this parable about a creditor and two debtors. And we understand what Jesus is saying here is that God is the creditor. 
Simon and the woman are the debtor. And uh, both Simon and the woman have debt to repay to God. And if we look at other scriptures in the Bible, we understand this is to be a, a very clear picture of the gospel. Uh, in fact, we, we know that Everyone, according to the scriptures, everyone is in debt to God because of sin. The Bible says the wages or the penalty of sin is death. There is no amount um, of good works or effort that we could do to repay the creditor for the penalty that we have because of our sin. But, The canceling of the debt is freely given through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross ensures that our debt is forgiven. He has paid that in full. You see, the story about a creditor and two debtors, Jesus is not saying that there are different levels of debt or, shall we say, sin. In the sense that there is no greater or lesser severe sin. Why? Because debt is debt. Sin is sin. What Jesus is talking about here is he's addressing the response of the sinner or the debtor in relation to their forgiven sin. You see, both debtors were freely forgiven. Both debtors received that forgiveness... But the response of those who were forgiven is drastically different based on the amount of debt that was forgiven. Let's talk about that a little bit more. After Jesus gives him this parable, he asks Simon this question in verse 44. Look at verse 44. It says, Then he turned to the woman. So, Jesus is speaking to Simon. This room is filled with fragrant oil. There is great turmoil as to what is happening uh, because this woman is weeping uncontrollably and Simon and Jesus are having this discussion together and he turns to the woman and addresses Simon and he asks Simon this question. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Well, of course, Simon saw this woman. It was right in front of her. This whole scene is unfolding. You can't miss this woman's weeping and crying. But there was something deeper that Jesus was getting at. Do you see this woman, Simon? I think it's sometimes a religion or a form of religion can blind us to those who are really seeking God. You see, Simon saw this woman in her past sins, but Jesus saw this woman in her present salvation. Salvation had come to this woman at the foot of Jesus in humbleness and in repentance coming before him. All Simon saw was her sin. He labeled her. He saw her in her sin, but Jesus saw her 
in her brokenness is so very difficult for us because we at times can get into um, seeing people from an outward demonstration, seeing people on the outside. And we can look at people and say, wow, that person has got it together. Wow, that person is a super saint. Wow, that person is so close to God. What's going on underneath the surface in the heart could be completely, completely different from what is being portrayed on the outside. Now, on the other side of that coin, we could see people who look like they're just a wreck, a train wreck in their life, battling and struggling, just scraping through, frustrated, just with the sin, with the difficulties, with the trials, and we say, you know what, that person, oh man, I mean, I pray for that person, I pity on that person, but that person is so far from God. Jesus is saying, do you see this woman? In her brokenness, she is so close to God because of it. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, verse 44. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed them with my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She loved much, and that love was demonstrated in her coming to Jesus, to his feet, weeping, washing, and anointing. You see, loving Jesus much was not the cause of her forgiveness, rather the effect. I love what Jesus says here. Your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 49. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? In verse 50, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, true peace, as Jesus has given this woman, true peace is, is the result of having your sins or your debt forgiven and paid in full by Jesus. The one who has been forgiven much rejoices much. Thank you for that reminder, Pastor Sherwood. May we remember all Christ has forgiven in our lives and may we rejoice much in that forgiveness. If you want to talk with someone right now, or if you want prayer or counseling, you can call 619-561-4777. That's 619-561-4777. LifeQuest is produced and sponsored by Alpine Christian Fellowship. We're located in Alpine, California, just off the Interstate 8 freeway at the Harbison Canyon Dunbar exit. Join us Sunday at 9 a.m., for a time of prayer, followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website at acffamily.com. Join us next time on this station for another LifeQuest teaching program where we look at real life God's way. <music>